right, welcome to another episode of Hearts for the Lost, the podcast. I am Jimmy De Los Santos coming to you from Dallas, Texas. I'm with my man. Brian, now I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana. What's up, Jimmy? How you doing, Brian? I'm it's doing good, all it's, right. It's, it's good to be here. This is uh, special because we don't normally uh, record mid-month. So this is, uh, well, we, we do record mid-month. We drop <laughs> usually on the first of every month. So uh, we're doing something special. You, you kind of uh, alluded to what we were going to be doing in the last episode that we dropped. So why don't you tell us what we're doing today? Yeah, so it's exciting. Um, we wanted to uh, try to bring uh, folks or um, resources that have impacted us in our, our evangelistic walk and, and apologetic walk. And uh, man, we're, we're having our first first guest today. And it's it's someone that, that absolutely I got introduced. Actually, Jimmy, we both got introduced to it at Ambassador Academy. It was one of the team leads. And I think our team blended with them in Santa Monica at some point and became one big team. But then I was able to go to New York and, and, and get on the box and, and do some, some absolute uh, midtown uh, uh, craziness with, with these guys. And uh, man, just stayed in touch, saw them at conferences. But man, we are, I'm just so excited to have Dr. Anthony Silvestro, a uh, book uh, that rocked my world that we're going to be talking about. Uh, he's an author of On the Origin of Kinds by Means of Creator God and the Preservation of Souls in the Struggle for Eternity. Um, Dr. Anthony Silvestro, welcome to our show, Dr. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be here. <laughs> you know what I love about the title of that book is uh, at the at the very b- bottom of that page uh, at the cover it says, "And the finches stayed finches." I mean, the finches <laughs> became more finches. They didn't. They didn't change. And I, I don't think a lot of people really know or understand where that comes from uh, unless they really dig down deep. Tell us what was the inspiration for the cover of that book or the title. You know, I wanted to just rip off a of Darwin. I wanted to. <laughs> I just wanted to take what he did and uh, redo it the correct way. Oh, and so, yeah. so the cover is actually the same design that he used in one of his early books, the same font used in one of his early books. And of course, I took his title and just changed it around. And then that's his exact Finches, uh, that drawing of Finches. So we took it all. Wow, that's, that's really great. And I, I, I often point people to the entire title so that they can see that this isn't about... Well, for me, it isn't about his evolution thing, but man, about the favored races. And I'm sitting there going, God didn't create races. We can get into that subject another time. But I, I, I sit there and I say, race is a human construct. And this all that we're going through in the world today with the divisions and everything, I point back to Darwin and say his fault. Right. And it's it doesn't have anything to do with, you know, how God created us. Absolutely. I have hours of social justice uh, talks that I do. And it's fascinating to know that Darwin and Karl Marx were contemporaries. They knew one another. Uh, Karl Marx was much more endeared to Darwin, though, than Darwin was to Marx, which I find really interesting if you go back in the, the history of it. But there's no doubt that Darwin had, had a special, special thing regarding different races and the idea of different monkeys speciating to different races. Mm-hmm. And, and no doubt that the racism that we see today goes back to Darwin. And But as Christians, one of my big pet peeves is we as Christians should not use the term racism at all, because it is not, like you said, a biblical construct. It's a secular construct that we're taking and trying to speak from a Christian worldview on that you can't, because according to the Bible, one blood, one race. One race. I like it. 
that's that's good. That's good. That, By the way, awesome. I, I just want to touch on this one thing, Brian, before we move into our subject today, that's right. because I, I just uh, I find it fascinating. I talked to one of my pastors and he found it fascinating, uh, Dr. Sylvester, that you are actually a dentist. Right. And so this is your occupation. This is what you went to school for. This is what you do on a regular basis. But uh, came out of dentistry work to write this book, which is uh, it's a good book. I was reading through it and I was thinking, man, some really good insights on how to evangelize from a perspective that, uh, well, presuppositional. It's it's a way to answer people's uh, questions that are there's something else. But what made you from a from a, you know, from being a dentist, what caused you in your mind to say, you know what, I'm gonna go write this book. Honestly, I wasn't going to write a book. It was one of my friends that really coerced me into, into writing one. And so I said, if I'm going to write a book, I'm a nobody. I need to write a book that has not been done yet. And so there are lots of good books on biblical evangelism. I mean, just, just go to Ray Comfort section of, of your uh, bookstore and you'll find all kinds of great ones. Uh, so I couldn't write that. I couldn't write a book on creation apologetics, which is one of my passions, because there's tons of creation books out there. And then Precept. I will say there's an opening in precept because most precept books are way too complicated, way too much philosophy. The average person uh, can't learn it that way. And so what I sought to do was write a book that took presupposition apologetics at the lay level with creation apologetics, with biblical evangelism, and weave them into one book. There's none others out there that I know of that are like this. And the goal was really to help somebody think through how their thoughts are to be when they're evangelizing. Like, what is the correct mindset? What is the biblical worldview to launch off of in order to go out there and uh, be the evangelist we're called to be? And, and it's great because <clears throat> I am not a doctor, nor do I play one on TV. <laughs> but it, and not that it's a simple book, so don't, don't take me wrong, but it's written for the layperson. It's written for uh, someone that really wants to understand and get in and how to use them. We've already used probably 10 words uh, that maybe some folks don't understand, but um, it, it's really simplistically written, which is great and brilliant that you can take something so deep, uh, but yet make it palatable, uh, not only in the chapter structure, but also in content. Um, and just fascinating for me early on, I think it was 18 when we met uh, in, in New York, well, I met at Ambassador Academy in 2018, and then got the book in probably 18, 19, just the whole, you know, counterbalanced evolution and, you know, the failed hypothesis of, of evolution and, and the whole mutation and which we'll get into hopefully, but that's not, has nothing to do with our topic specifically, but um, really just understanding, um, you know, hard truths in, in, in a way that you can use them when you're evangelizing and sharing the faith. And when someone throws something at you, you just don't look like deer in the headlights. Hey, I got that. That's chapter six, page four. I'm coming back at you. So that I want to thank you for that, but not just the book, but I know you're striving for attorneys ministries uh, with Andrew Rappaport. I know you do apologetics live uh, on Thursday nights, give or take um, uh, spot spot on there. Uh, anything else? I know um, I just like to talk about your ministries, what you involved, what's going down, all that good stuff. Yeah. So I, I speak with Andrew Rappaport and board members striving for eternity. We do a lot of evangelism, discipleship training. I also do a lot of teaching with creation training initiative. Mike Riddle, who used to be a speaker for Answers in Genesis. So we do a lot of creation seminars where people come in for a day, a weekend, sometimes a week for a flagship class. And they come in and learn how to not only do the apologetics right, but be able to turn around and speak it effectively as a teacher, whether it's a Sunday school teacher at home with their kids or in a, in a Christian school. 
So those are the ministries I, I, I work for and, and speak for. Nice. And, and I can hear people going, well, wait a minute. Hearts for Lost also trains ministry and evangelism. You got someone on there, this competition. Okay, let's get it straight. Only 2% of believers share their faith biblically regularly. So there's 98%. So I think there's plenty for us to share and go after, right? I think so too. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Brian, That's that, why we're that, doing it. That perspective right there. I mean, I <laughs> wish we had more, more teachers that would think like that, right? Because it, it is it is important that we get the word out, right? And um, to, to be able to, I mean, we're going to collaborate with anybody that can help us to, to boost uh, what we want to do and evangelism is in our heart, right? Like that's the thing that we want to do the most. And so we want to get people going there. So um, Brian, what's our topic today? What, what yeah. Is, what so, is- I mean, I, obviously, and, and you know, but I mean, our whole goal, right. In, in this show, uh, just a reminder, you know, to excite, educate and equip believers to share their faith biblically. Right. And, and get excited. Hope you're feeling the passion in there, but this is, we said it last, uh, last show, you know, this is really the education piece. And, and now, um, you're going to get some good answers to some hard questions tonight um, that's going to equip you uh, uh, to be ready uh, to go. So if you got a pen and paper close by or want to hit pause and, and go get a piece of paper and write some of these down, um, they're, they're going to be something you want to want to go to. Um, but what, the last show obviously was questioning God. And we really, really went into, and again, the air quotes are up, the atheist, um, so-called atheist, agnostic and deist positions. Those are the, typically the top three that come after you. And then we kind of talked about existence and creation, the, the questioning God's existence and his, his creation. We introduced you to presuppositional apologetics and, you know, that God, God exists and he has spoken. So that's where we start. Um, so we don't need to prove anything. Um, but really the third big one was questioning God's character. And that's where we really wanted to bring uh, Anthony in and, and, and really uncover not only some of the stuff in the book, but we got some questions that, that we got um, in a role, apologetics role play, uh, an ambassador academy. Just chew up some of these things. I'd love to get Anthony's take uh, on how he addresses them, uh, some thought process, maybe you know, run the play, how you'd answer, then maybe do some chalk talk and break it down, kind of like football, and, and say, okay, here's where I would go maybe with that. And, um, again, give us a little grace. This is our first uh, interview show, so we might – step all each other trying to ask the next question so we asked for a little uh grace on that but go ahead jimmy i mean that that's the show that's what we want to get to i know the guy everybody's just chomping the bit they got their pens in hand and and what how go ahead and gentlemen start your engines let's go sure you know and i want to treat this like like if i'm on the street and i encounter this and so so a lot of our listeners are going to want to know you know one of the things that they're not bold about being able to go out there because they're afraid somebody's going to come with a question or, right. or an objection that just is going to mow them down and they're not going to be able to answer and it's going to shake their faith and they're going to lose belief and that, that type of thing. But we know that's not true. The more that we go out and we evangelize, the more, the stronger we get in our faith, because once we know, like Brian pointed out in, an, in another episode, we can say, I don't know, but I'll find out for you and come back to you later. It sends us to our, our knees to pray. It sends us to our Bibles to study. And then we learn the answers, but we're here today to ask kind of specific questions and see how an expert, Dr. Sylvester, <laughs> might go ahead and answer those questions. And so somebody might see an example in action. So we're on the streets, Dr. Sylvester. I'm the unbeliever. And I come at you and I ask a simple question. If God is so good, then why do children have cancer? Yeah. And I'll tell you, this is a great question. This is what we call Theodicy is the fancy word, but it's a it's a fancy word for if God is so powerful and so good, why do bad things happen? Mm. 
And so that question gets phrased in a number of ways. But I'll tell you this, before we get into an apologetics talk and we get into how we answer this question, I want to make sure the mindset of the evangelist slash apologist is right. And this is what I do in my book as well, is, is make sure that our mind is right before we walk into any of these encounters. And so first and foremost, we have to, we have to make sure we understand Romans 1.16, mm-hmm. which says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, which means then it's not up to me and my evidences. It's not up to me and my intelligence. It's not up to me being able to make sure I answer their every last question that the power lies in the gospel Mm. in changing hearts by the power of the Holy spirit. And so when we walk into any encounter, even when, when we are faced with really difficult questions, I want to make sure that we recognize always the powers in the gospel. I just want to make sure that we also understand Romans one verses 18 to 20 that says that that person, you guys probably talked about this on your last show, but everybody I walk up to, I know they know God exists Hmm. by his creation and things have been made. Everyone knows. So it doesn't matter what they tell me. It doesn't matter if they tell me they believe in a false religion. I know deep down, they know the true God, the creator God, and that whatever they believe in is a false God and that they are suppressing the truth about the real God and their sin. So that is my first and foremost starting point. So having said all that, when I, when I walk into an encounter and somebody asks this question, I am the first thing I'm going to ask him is I'm going to be very presuppositional. Now I want to ask him by your question, it seems like you've got a standard of right from wrong, an absolute start, an absolute standard of right from wrong. Where do you get that from? And so I'm, I'm using the power of asking questions, number one, mm. right? So I can control the conversation. And number two, I asked a specific question because every time they ask this question, it's a loaded question. And there's usually two parts to the loaded question. The first one is this. They have an absolute standard. And I know you guys know this. I know this. Probably most listeners know this. The only way that you can have an absolute standard for morality is when we start with God. And guess what? The unbeliever knows it as well. Mm-hmm. Why? Because Romans 2 says the moral laws written on their hearts. They, their conscience testifies and bears witness to the God they know exists. So I'm confident they have this moral standard or an absolute sense of right from wrong. My job is to get it out of them. And so I asked that question, where is your standard coming from that your question is based on? So that's, that's the first presupposition. They also have a second assumption of who they believe they are in relation to other people. And so this goes into the idea of evangelism, where when we walk up to somebody on the streets, ask them if they're going to heaven or hell when they die, almost everybody says heaven. And then we ask them, well, why do you believe heaven? And what's their answer always? Well, because I'm a good person, or I do all these good things, or I walk with ladies across the street, and I donate money, donate time, and I love people. Right? So they give that answer. When they ask this question, what they really mean, if, if God is so powerful and so good, why do bad things happen? What they mean is, why would bad things happen to a guy like me who's good? That's really what they're asking. Right. Yes. Right. And so, so let's talk about this presupposition first, and we'll go back to the first one. This one's an easy one to talk about, right? We can walk somebody through the good person test. We can walk them through the law to show them their sin. And, and we have to flip the script on them. We have to let them understand that 
their idea of being good is because they're comparing themselves against somebody worse than them. Mm -hmm. They're not comparing themselves against God and his standard that he's going to use the moment every one of us dies. So they have to recognize who they are against God to which they're a wretched sinner. And of course we can use Romans three and quote other areas as well to, to help point this out to them. The starting point really has to be if, we're as evil as we are, which we are. Why is God allowing me to continue to live? Why didn't he snuff me out in my sleep last night? This is how we have to actually talk with them because we have to, we have to make sure they understand where they're actually supposed to be versus where they think they're coming from the position, right? They're not from a good position. They're from an evil position that is against God. And so I like to, as always go back to the Bible. I like to point out Genesis Genesis one through three, especially. And I, and I walk them through the, the understanding of when Adam and Eve sinned, they were told not to eat from the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. They did, they sinned, their eyes were opened immediately. They had immediate spiritual death. They also had the death process start, right? Decay throughout the world started, decay in their own body started, their own genomes started, and they were going to now die. As we see in Genesis three nineteen. If for dust you are, to dust you shall return. This is a person who is, is, is going to face death as a result of, of their sin. The question I ask him is, why did God allow Adam and Eve to continue to live after they sinned? Because did could God have snuffed them out right there according to his own standard? Of course, right? Yes. It was because of his grace and mercy, right? It was, it was for his attributes to be seen that he, he allows them to live another day, allow them to live another day. And same goes for the unbeliever, right? So I want to continue to point this back to the gospel and, and talk about who they are in, in God and that their question is coming from a wrong position. And what I'm trying to show them is that you may be looking at situations in your life, family life, friends' lives, even other people you don't know's lives. And you say, that's unfair, right? God is good. He's making, he's, he's, these bad things are happening to me and that's unfair to which we have to say, hold on a second. The fact that you're breathing here and standing here in front of me is a blessing. That's a grace in your life right. and you don't even recognize it right now. Listeners right now might be saying, well, hold on a second, guys. You're talking to an unbeliever who says they don't believe in God to which I say, so what? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Very I knew good. that was coming. Very good. Very good. <laughs> Right. I, mean, I, I, I hope that people are keying in on what you just what you just did, because that, that was good. That, I, I saw it coming too, Brian. Still, still cracked me up. Right. Good. It's one of those. Like, I got to steal something from Darren Virgil. Right. That's so nice. You got to say it twice. Right. Yeah, <laughs> we got to steal something. There. <laughs> so well, that go ahead. Yeah, I didn't want to throw off your chain of thought, but uh, yeah, we want to go with that with that. Uh, presupposition, I, I guess. Hey. The Bible Absolutely. says every so everyone everyone knows they just suppress it in unrighteousness, but uh, yeah, keep on going, keep on telling. Yeah, us about where so we're so I answered I answered the second part first, right? The the idea of of who they actually are, right? That they're not as good as they think they are. That was the second presupposition that they have or assumption behind their their question. Now I'm going to go back to the first one, which is. When they ask the question, if God is so powerful, so good, why do bad things happen? If God is so good, why did my child die of cancer? If God is so good, why, why did he take my parents away from me at an early age? They are assuming a standard of good and evil, an absolute standard, 
to which now I'm going to pin them and say, where are you getting the standard from? And my whole goal is for them to, for that, for that suppression of the truth about God, for it to, to be exposed, right? We're exposing the fact they know God exists, not proving it to them, we're exposing it to them. And so that's what I want to do now with the first presupposition of their question. So what my goal is, if I have the time with them, is that, is that I'm, I'm kind of destroying both sides of, of the presuppositions of their arguments. And once I've done that, now I'm going to answer their question. Okay. <laughs> so, so if the answer, so I, I did kind of read into this a little bit in your, in your, in the chapter in your, your book where you asked that question and you have, you gave us four different possible responses that come from, uh, from the skeptic or the unbeliever. The first one's it's just my opinion. It's yeah. just my opinion. So what would you say to that? that well, it's what I think. Well, that's right. It's so, yeah. So what we've kind of boiled it down to in the book is, is this idea that when we're pinning them on, where do they get absolute morality from? Right. In general, when they give you answers, when they try to avoid the one real answer, which is God, yeah, they, they give you four different, usually one of four different answers and any other answer they give you usually fits in one of these categories. And those would be the personal opinion. It's just my opinion that this is what's right and wrong to which I can say, okay, personal opinion. Well, <laughs> what about the rapist or the murderer? It was his personal opinion that that was okay. Wow. That's <laughs> see, I've, I've, I've done that before too. So is rape wrong? I'll ask, yeah, exactly. that, I'll, I'll ask that question. Right. And right. I, I get, well, according to who, because if I move to an, a, a, to a country where it's okay, is that it then? Okay. I mean, because, you know, yeah. So. To which, to which usually then what happens just like you did, right. Yeah. They usually roll into one of the other possible responses. So that response in the book I have labeled as number three response, but that would be, well, the standard now is based on the laws of society, like right. Sharia law, to which I say, oh, so so laws of society are always good. So that means the Jim Crow laws were good 70, 80 years ago. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. You're putting me in a corner. There. Yeah, I guess that one doesn't work anymore, does it? So, no, it doesn't. So then they go to one of the other responses, typically, which I labeled uh, response number two in my book, which which is then the standard must be based upon what just benefits society in general. Mm. Maybe it's not the laws, but it's what benefits society. To just say, oh, well, that's interesting because the Germans thought it benefited society to exterminate uh, lots mm. of millions of Jews and mentally retarded and Italians and Japanese later on in, in that uh, war. So you mean that was a good thing? Well, okay, maybe that wasn't it either. To which then they always fall back on, on the last possible response. What I have labels number four in the book, which is, that means the, the moral standard just must be based on what makes people feel good. What makes me feel good, right? It's just, it's just what I feel, which by the way, is what we call post-truth, right? Hmm. Postmodernism is this idea that uh, your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. And let's just both go our happy ways. In today's day and age, we're seeing this postmodernism starting to fade out. And what's coming in its place is post-truth, which is the idea. I don't care what the facts are. This is what I believe. You could very well be right. Who cares? Right. That's post-truth. And so this is what it comes down to even here is that I don't, I don't really care. It's what makes me feel good for morality to which I say, well, then what do you believe about the rapist and the murderer again? Because that's what made them feel good. And, and so what we've done is we've pointed out that that's all of their ideas fall short of an absolute standard to which the only way, and, and this is what it comes down to, right? I, I don't think I have this written explicitly in my, explicitly in my book, but the idea is, is that 
there is no way we can come up with, with a transcendental standard, right? So I'm using a fa big fancy word. All transcendental means is, is it's good for all places, all times, all people, right? So murder is always wrong, regardless of what time period you live in, where you live, um, what people group you're part of, doesn't matter, it's always wrong. So that, that's, that's a simple definition for transcendental. When you hear guys using that word, just ignore it and just go with this, this definition. But so when you, when you look at morality, for it to be transcendental, it means it can't be what we call horizontal. It can't be people among people coming up with a standard because there's never a standard then that can be an umbrella over everybody, right? We can always come up with different ideas, different thoughts over different times. Different groups can have different thoughts. You never can come up with an absolute standard. You never get 100% agreement in this. So the only way you can have an absolute standard, only way you can have a morality be transcendental, which it is, is by it being vertical, meaning that one above us, God himself, is the standard of morality and he's projected it down unto us. Right. And that's what I want to make sure I point out to the unbeliever, knowing full well, they know God exists, despite what they tell you. They know the moral law, despite what they tell you. All I'm doing is exposing the fact that they already know. Hmm. Right. You know, you know, you know, what's funny about that is I think that even like in, in business life, uh, we all, you know, have, have an employer. Well, Dr. Sylvester, you have your own practice, but I know that there's, there are certain standards that my company expects me to adhere to. I do not go uh, to a bar wearing the, the shirt with the logo of my company and get stupid drunk and act a fool in that logo, maybe get arrested, get on the news, things like that. I wouldn't have a job very long. Right. right. It, it, it's that it's that type of thing, because that's one above me that I need to be cognizant of the fact that I need to act <clears throat> a certain way to keep my job. Same kind of same kind of a moral kind of compass that you've just thrown at us. But here's here's the thing that gets me, because uh, what you just laid out for us is that, you know, God is above us and yet you don't want to submit to him and, and look at his his uh, his standard. Uh, and so I think that's really good. Brian, you were you were going to go. No, it's good. And let me break it down. Just now let's get into some of the chalk talk. What I what I pulled out of it just real quick um, is one. And Anthony, you taught me this big time just by watching you. But uh, a you, you you do it lovingly and 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 the way you converse with people, um, you, you totally can tell you care about them. So I love that piece from a, from a but then if you just and you just did it, if, if we have this belief that we truly believe what we believe. The word is true. God, you know, God exists. And he has spoken. We, we know that's true. We know what the God's, what the law, what the word says about the person we're speaking to. If we can just have a couple things I heard you say, if just have a couple comebacks, um, a, let them, let me go back, let them talk first, right? Let, let them unleash what they do believe a little bit, right. And hear where they're coming from. Uh, and, and okay. Now, <laughs> You, you maybe have a, a comeback or two based on some facts, but then you said, and, and we've talked about this on the show, the power of questions and, and being able to pin them back because, and Jimmy, you said this on the last show, we're not Hitchens and Dawkins, those guys that we're not running to them in the well, obviously, but we're not running <laughs> the, that type of person in the street that if we can just, not, most people that come after us on the street or when we're sharing our faith have maybe one or two levels of comebacks. They've never really thought it through. They've never looked at, okay, where's this logic progress backwards? If I, if I, so just by you just saying exposing 
the madness, which is already is madness uh, of, of their worldview, um, just really helps, like you said, and you said it at, at the Cruciform Conference, you know, you, you use the, uh, uh, the illustration that suppressing the truth is like you're in a pool and you got this ball and you're trying to hold it under the water. Right. And that's the truth you're suppressing. And you just said, man, with 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 questions and finger, I'm just trying to take their fingers off that ball and let the truth explode out of the water. So that right. that to me is kind of the mindset of don't get overwhelmed. You know, understand this is where they're coming from. Ask some good questions. Have a couple, maybe some evidence back and forth, you know, a little bit. But again, like you said, Anthony, in the very beginning, our goal is not to win this debate or argument. Our goal is to proclaim the gospel and let the gospel do its work. So I, I love that. I'm sorry. I just want to take a quick snapshot um, to give yeah. some practical application to that. No, a- absolutely. I mean, one of the wonder, one of the wonderful things about presup and using this approach with whatever questions are asked of us is we don't have to be PhD scientists. We don't have to have postdocs, all kinds of, of degrees in order to have a witness to people. And I'm not scared whether I'm talking to a four-year-old or talking to a PhD from NYU, which happens up in New York City, because we know that God wins, right? (laughs) We know that God's word is true. We know the general revelation that that unbeliever knows. And so we're just banking on that. It makes it so much easier. The confidence level, right? And we we know that only one time a bad thing happened to a good person that happened on the cross, Jesus Christ. So that's right. Uh, just know that confidently. Um, and, and that's it. So another one, if you flush that one out, another one that we get a lot and, and, you know, you talk about a person's a, I'm a good person. Why do you think you're going to heaven? Well, God's forgiving. He forgives everybody. And I, I really can't believe in a God that would send good people to hell. I just, I just can't believe in that or that, you know, that's something in that realm. How, how do you go after, or I'm sorry, lovingly correct that position? <laughs> <laughs> go after him, man. Just go ahead yeah. and go after him. Well, I'm typically going to ask them if they believe heaven exists, because I want to, I want to find out where they're at, right? It, right. It, how silly is it to believe that heaven exists, but hell doesn't. And so I'm going to ask them, where do you get one without the other? Right? So Again, I'm trying to ask questions for them to clarify their position, to make them think through this a little bit more. But ultimately, we're going back to general revelation. They know God exists. They've broken his law. They know the moral laws are in their hearts. They're, they're going to be standing without excuse, according to Romans 1 verse 20. So our, our job is to use the law, show them their sin, and say, if you broke a law on this planet, what do you think would happen to you? Right. I mean, yeah. if you if you robbed a bank, you're going to get arrested. If you're going to get arrested, yeah. you're going to you're going to go to jail. Do you, would you yeah. have deserved jail? Well, absolutely. And I say, here's what's interesting about about the earth is that no matter what laws you break, you could kill 100 people. You can kill one person, kill a thousand people. The most that an earthly judge can sentence you is what? To a life sentence. Right. I mean, they can throw eight life sentences at you, but it, 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 it's it's kind of a doesn't mean anything because the moment you die, you're free of your consequence here on earth. Right. Well, when you sin against a holy, righteous, and just judge, God himself, who is eternal, whose heaven is eternal for those who repent and believe, well, guess what his punishment is for those who aren't? Mm. His punishment mm. also must be eternal. His, the punishment must fit the crime. And when the crime is against the eternal God, your crime is going to match that. It's going to be hell for eternity. And, and so that's a very simple way of being able to explain it to somebody. And again, if they don't believe you, who cares? Right? <laughs> My job is to give them the truth. Right. Yeah. 
and, and, and unapologetically, right? You do it lovingly, you do it kind, but you don't waver from the truth. Mm. Right. Mm. That's good. Stick to God's word. And that's and that's it. You know, I'm absolutely convinced that our worldview is is God exists, He has spoken. And we must stand on that worldview when we are out there witnessing, doing our apologetics, everything. The moment we decide to step off of that worldview and meet them in a neutral ground, right? When when they ask you to, well, how about you leave the Bible behind? I'll leave this behind. Let's just meet here halfway. What you've done is you've left your worldview and you've walked onto enemy territory. It's a trick that the unbelievers play with you. They're not actually giving up their presuppositions. <laughs> They're just trying to get you off of yours. Right. right. Don't, don't do it. Don't give up the one piece of armor in Ephesians 6 that God says is offensive, right? This, it's a sort of sphere that we're to be using. And, and if we get off a worldview, we're saying, here you go. Here's the sword. Yeah. You, you, know, you, touch, you touch on this at the very beginning of your book where you, yeah. where you talk about how, it, you know, you, you lay out the solas, the five solas, and then you say, you know, if sola scriptura is really our thing, why would you step off into somebody else? Well, I'm paraphrasing what mm-hmm. you said, what you said at the beginning there. Why would you go to a different worldview? And I always get this, uh, this question. Couldn't couldn't God have used evolution? Well, not according to scripture. Right. And so this is the one thing that I, I think you're touching on. It. You did well in the book when you when you wrote that I actually uh, highlighted something that you wrote there at the beginning of uh, in, at the introduction. Let me let me let me read this so that. People can get a, a glimpse of what is in your book when you when you put your thought out there. Here's what it says. Uh, the problem is that to be a consistent Christian, you must believe the entire word of God, mm. starting at the beginning of Genesis. Many doctrines and scriptures, starting with the gospel, are undermined when a Christian does not believe what God plainly says mm. in the beginning of Genesis. And I, I think there's a lot of Christians out there. I was going to ask you a few minutes ago when you were going through some of those things about the being loving and being kind, because I've been approached by Christians who tell me you're not being loving. You're not being kind. You should, you should just tell people that God loves them and that uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And, and that's all they need to hear. And I'm sitting here going, if they don't repent and put their trust in Christ and recognize their sin. Anyway, speak to that. From that perspective, I just want a little, I know we might going off a little bit of a tangent, but not too much. We got Dr. Sylvester with us. So let's just talk about that for a second. Because we do have Christians Christians that approach us on the streets and tell us about that. I I love that you touched on that. And by the way, I do want to circle back around to the problem of evil. Yeah. At some point before the show ends, because there's one other thing I do want to talk about, practical sure. thing. But so when it comes to, to this, I've been approached numerous times while opener preaching on college campuses. And and the atheists I love when police come over, no problem. Administrators, great. But when I have those group of two or three or four people that come up and stand right next to you, just real patient and quiet, just waiting for you to get done, I'm like, oh no. It's campus for safe for Christ. Man. And like, these are, these are the worst that I have to. So, you know, you get off the box, your buddy comes up next and he's preaching. And so you go over and talk to him and they're like, you know, we really appreciate what you're trying to do, but we think you're doing it all wrong. Okay. How am I doing it wrong? I've heard this a million times before. Well, you're just not talking about God's love. To which I say, okay, guys, and, and, and I'll, I'll pick one of them out and I'll say, if I was describing you to somebody that didn't know you and I said, oh, Jimmy, 
Um, uh, he's got a beard. Does that describe who the somebody is? No. I've given one attribute of who that person is mm. and left everything else up to guess. Mm. The, the way for me to describe somebody to somebody accurately is let me give them the summation of their attributes, right? That's the only way I can even s- somehow get close to explaining to somebody who somebody is, right? If somebody asks me about, about who my wife is, I'm not going to just say, well, she's like five foot five and blondish hair. <laughs> like, what does that, right? How does that teach anybody anything? No, see, with God, people want to use the attribute of love and they want to ignore all of his, what they call bad attributes, And so I call people out on that. I said, look, you don't actually, you're not actually describing the God of the Bible. You're right now describing an idol. You're describing a God that you see in the mirror when you, when you are brushing your teeth in the morning, you're seeing the God that you want to believe in, but not the actual God Mm. that exists. And so I say, is God love? Absolutely. You know, in first John four is a great, is a great uh, passage for this. Cause in first John four, it says God is love, right? This is, this is what everybody quotes. This is what the homosexuals all quote in homosexual parades. God is love. And I say, you're right, but keep reading. God's love was made manifest in his son's death on the cross. See God's love was his love for people. The, the way it was greatest manif- greatest most greatly manifested to people was through his son's death on the cross, which by the way, his son's death on the cross was all of God's attributes on full display. Mm-hmm. His omniscience, his omnipotence, you know, his all-knowing, his all-power, his love was there, certainly, right? Christ died for those who repent and believe, but wrath was there. The father's wrath came down on his own son. Oh, justice was served because the sins of those who repent and believe were put on that cross. I mean, we can walk through every one of the attributes and they're, they're all interconnected. Mm. In fact, one of the, there's some sermons that will always stick out in your mind, right? In your life. And one sermon that stuck out in mind was at a, a striving fraternity event that we put on maybe seven years ago now. It was one of our old fire events and a pastor, Dan Phillips, who's one of the pyromaniacs, or was one of the pyromaniacs with Phil Johnson and Frank Turk. Mm. And uh, I think one other guy was, was in that group, but Dan Phillips came in and, and the whole theme of this conference was in God's attributes. And Dan Phillips took a really interesting uh, perspective and a correct perspective. He said, you know, we look at God as, as the summation of his attributes. He goes, that's not quite right. He goes, let's take God's attribute of love. For instance, his attribute of love is omnipotent omniscient mm-hmm. and all the other attributes his omnipotence all powerful is guess what is love is omniscient mm-hmm. is right on down the line every attribute contains all the other attributes so it's not just the summation of attributes is that all those attributes are wrapped up in every other attribute mm-hmm. that's mind-blowing right you mm-hmm. cannot separate one from another in fact they're so intertwined they are inseparable and so when somebody comes up and has, has this idea that we're not being loving or not doing this and we're not, we're not talking about God right, I say, you have God wrong. You have to see him in his, in his fullness. Mm. The same God that's love that, that will welcome people into heaven is the same God who is, is present in hell for eternity, pouring out his wrath on sinners. Mm. And I, th- I think you nailed it. And I think that's one piece that's left out of the evangelism a lot 
is the holiness of God and, and, and really starting with that place. And, and you said, keep reading and, and his attributes. I love that. And, and I go Jeremiah nine, 23, 24, right. Don't boast in your riches or your might. If you don't boast anything. No, you know, know that I practice these things. Steadfast love. Yes. But justice and righteousness. And you got two biggies to deal with two big problems yeah. to deal with before you get to the love. So um, I, I, I love that part um, yeah, that on good. that and, and being able to flush that out but start and, and right. Cause that's really the starting with the holiness of God's. We kind of start in this podcast and using the law to reveal you just didn't sin against your brother, your sister, your mom, you sinned against the holy righteous God who we just talked about. Now that's when the sinfulness of man and, and the repentance comes in. So yeah, I, I love that part. Start with the, with yeah. the attributes and really understanding uh, each, each and every one um, to its fullest extent. Yeah. I think that wrapping up all the attributes with each other's and I've never heard it that way kind of kind of blew my mind a little bit because yeah his his wrath is wrapped up in his love right i mean um and that was you know exhibited at the cross he demonstrated his love towards us and that while we're your sin we're your sinners christ died for us there's there's wrath in that and there's love in that um so that's that's really good but let's get back to the evil thing right (laughs) yeah i I never thought i'd uh, hear myself say let's get back to back to the evil back to the evil (laughs) Right. So yeah, make sure make sure to eclipse this right in that spot. (laughs) So here's it, you know, that that would be that somebody would do that for us. You know, when you were touching on the the fact that the homosexuals use that that verse, I'm sitting here thinking, Dr. Sylvester, you want us to get canceled here, bro. You want us to you want the hearts (laughs) of the lost to get uh, canceled by the culture. Now we don't worry about that around here. Yeah, that's good because I don't. <laughs> <laughs> we, you know, what would what would we do if we if we out to everybody's uh, feelings and, exactly. and emotions? Uh, I think you've already touched that. So let let's let me ask this question. Um, and I think this is um, you know, it's, it's here. Here comes Jimmy the skeptic again, right? Huh? Okay, okay. So you're telling me there's this God, right? And and you're telling me that the the cancer, I, I get it, right? But evil wouldn't exist at all if God hadn't let it happen. Right. Like, tell me, I mean, if we're here and the evil's here, then God must have created evil. He must be evil himself. Yeah. Right. No, great, great question. So, so we're going to answer this in in a, it's, we're gonna take a few minutes to kind of unravel all of this. Sure. The first, the first part of this has to be when people ask this question, what they're doing is they're pinning evil on God Mm -hmm. and to a degree, they're right to a degree they're wrong. And, And this is what I mean by that. So God ordains all things that come to pass. We'd all agree on that. Yes. Which means he also ordains the evil things that come to pass. The question, though, is that is God to blame for the evil? Mm. No. Right. Scripture is really clear on this. And so how do we reconcile this issue? By the way, if if anybody who's listening wants more on this, Mike Riccardi has a number of of, uh, talks on this at Grace Community Church in Sun Valley, California. MacArthur has a number of them as well. It's where I got a lot of my info on how to really package some of this part of uh, my talk together when I do the problem of evil. But the the first thing we have to understand is Genesis, right? Everything goes back to Genesis. Genesis 1, God looked over his entire creation in Genesis 131, right? After Adam and Eve were created, he looks over his entire creation and says, it is very good. Mm -hmm. Which good means perfect. Very good is exceedingly perfect, right? This is an exceedingly perfect uh, uh, creation. There's no death, no disease, no sin, nothing in this creation account. Then we read Genesis 2, which is just a, 
it's diving deep into day six of Genesis one, right? So Genesis two kind of recapitulates that and goes into more depth. And we see that before Eve was created, Adam was given the one command from God to not eat from the tree knowledge of good and evil for the day, in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. We understand that later to, as I said earlier, we understand that to be both a spiritual and physical death is associated with that sin. The physical death process started and it would be completed. They would die eventually. And their spiritual death was an immediate thing right. when their eyes were open, right? So that happens. Then we go to Genesis three, Adam and Eve partake, right? Eve first, and then Adam, who's the federal head. And when he, once he sins is when their eyes were open and all the evil stuff came into the world. And so when I talk to people, I want to make sure they understand first and foremost, first and foremost, who brought evil into the world. It was the actions of Adam, right? So when we want to talk about evil, they want to say, well, God's the author of evil. Well, not quite. Evil was from Adam. And, and maybe, maybe this will help your listeners as well, is that let's understand what evil actually is. Evil isn't a created concept. It created, it's not a created thing. Right. Right? The way to define evil would be something like how we would define cold. Mm-hmm. We can't measure cold, right? That's not a scientific thing. We measure heat. And so if I take my finger and I touch a snowball with it, when my finger feels cold, it's because I have a loss of heat energy from my finger to the snowball, right? And so I feel cold, but it's actually just a loss of heat or an absence of heat is what cold is. God is good. God is perfectly good. Evil would be just like cold. It's the absence of God's goodness. Mm. That's a proper definition of it. And so God didn't create evil. Evil occurred in this world as a result of Adam sinning, as a result of him being less than God's standard of perfect righteousness. That's that's the proper definition, right? That's how we have to understand this as, as Christians. So when we understand it from that perspective now, when I talk to the person who asked me the question, if God is so powerful, so good, why do bad things happen? Well, um, hold on a second. Who's responsible for evil in the world? Is it God or is it Adam? And, and here's the thing is, is because we're all from Adam and Eve, we inherited that sin, that sin nature from him Mm. by proxy, (laughs) you're evil, (laughs) right? Not just Adam, but so are you, that the bad things in this world are because of you and I going all the way back to our federal head, Adam, right? It's not God. It's, it's, it's us, right? So this is how we tie back into what I had said earlier in this proper understanding of who we are compared to God. Mm. We deserve to die the moment we're conceived. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Every breath we take is a blessing. Yes. And so yeah. this is how we have to answer this problem of evil to anybody, believer and unbeliever alike. They have to have proper proper footing on all this. Now, with an unbeliever, I'll typically just just stop right there with a theology and I say, look, God is going to eradicate all evil one day. He is going to get rid of it. He promises that. He says the, mm-hmm. the death is the last enemy to be destroyed. He's going to roll out a new heavens, a new earth, where it'll be impossible for those who are on it to sin ever again. He's getting rid of it. But just like Adam and Eve in the garden, he could have snuffed him out and he didn't. Why? Out of his grace and mercy. You're standing here asking this question, questioning God, all while breathing his air. <laughs> and that's a blessing on your life right now. You know what you need to do? You need to repent because you don't know when your last breath is going to be. 
right? So this is how we get it back to the gospel. We, we turn it back around on them because, because let, let's, you know, whoever I'm talking to, let's say it's Michael. So Michael, here's the reality. God is going to eradicate all evil. If he came down today and ended it, you'd be in hell fraternity. Mm-hmm. You should be thanking God right now. <laughs> that you're still breathing and you have a chance to repent, right? This is how we are, are effectively using this out there. So I, I say all this now to the, to the unbeliever. What about to the believer, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's a theological issue here that God ordains all things, evil occurs. What's the purpose? Like, why did God even have a creation mm-hmm. that allowed evil to occur? Now, notice I said a word that normally I don't say is allowed. One of my pet peeves out there is, is a lot of creation speakers, when they speak on the subject, they talk about God allows evil as if it's a passive thing. God doesn't passively do this. God ordains evil, and yet he's not blamed for it. So how do we, how do we reconcile this? Well, first and foremost, we can look at Jesus' death on the cross. Who caused Jesus to die on the cross? <laughs> well, we know that according to Acts 2, in Peter's sermon, it was the preordained plan for the foundational world that Jesus would go to the cross. Mm-hmm. God is the ultimate cause of Jesus going to the cross. But yet... Is he the one to blame for the evil of Jesus going to the cross? No. Who's to blame? The Romans and the Jews who physically put him there, right? Right. Who carried out out of the evilness in their hearts what they were going to do anyway. They get the blame for it. God doesn't, even though he ordains it all. It's a deep concept, but it's one that, that we have to really understand, and, uh, and look, there's a, famous, there's a famous historical account towards the end of Genesis that everyone loves to talk about is Joseph. Yes. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I mean, Joseph, it was an evil act that he was sold into slavery for many, many years. Mm. Absolutely. His brothers committed a heinous act to him. And yet the whole thing was ordained by God for it to occur for his purposes, which would not be known until many years later. And as Joseph said to them, right, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. See, scripture is, is full of these, of, the, of these examples and this understanding that even though he ordains all things that come to pass, the evil that occurs is pinned on human beings in our sinful flesh. Wow. Is the bottom line. Now, going back to the last question is, for somebody to ask, well, why did God allow creation to, to fall, right? Why did he make a creation do this? To which I say, you know, and now, you know, our, our friendly Calvinists, and, and look, I, I'm reformed, so, you know, I'm, I'm in this camp, but when we look at Romans 9, everybody wants to call Romans 9 the chapter on election. I'm sorry, if you believe that the main point of chapter 9 of Romans was election, you missed the point. Because in verses 22 and 23, God tells you what his purpose of election is through Paul. He says, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known, get this, the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. The point of election is for God's attributes to be on full display. That's the point. Yeah. And if you miss that, you miss the whole boat on, on election. I believe in election. It's just, that's not the main point here in Romans 9. And so I bring this up because if God had a created world that never fell, 
he would his attributes of love would probably be seen pretty well um his his omnipotence omniscience probably been seen pretty well but certain attributes of his would have never been seen his wrath his grace his justice his mercy and others and so it was necessary for god to not only make a creation but a creation that would fall that he would redeem for his attributes to be on full display for the glory of his name that's it, the bottom line, why God allows evil or, or has ordained evil to occur, it's ultimately, like everything else, to his full glory for his attributes to be on full display. Amen. You know, you went through all that, and I got to say, I was I was sitting there thinking, man, he is so much nicer than I would be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I sat there thinking, if somebody told me, you know, um, God is God must be the author of evil, my first thought would be, who made you judge over God? I mean, that's that's kind of what I would, you know, who made you the judge? And I, I think there's a lot of people that would would fall into this. Well, I didn't mean to judge God. They they kind of they kind of look back, but I, I like your your approach on the on this. It, it really makes sense. And then there's the uh, that 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 last little bit because I I read Romans. I still love Romans nine for the. It's a great chapter. It's a great it's chapter. Awesome. It's an eye opening. It's an eye opening chapter for a lot of people. In fact, I took my mom through. Romans nine, just so she would, she gasped. She, oh, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. When I got to that part, my my mom gasped a little bit. But I did, I did, I do always make that distinction that you just made. Maybe not as eloquent as you did. Uh, I usually just say, "How would we, as vessels of mercy, have ever known His mercy, His grace, His glory, if it had not been that He created vessels of wrath? How do we know mer- mercy even exists?" If we can't see vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. And so uh, ultimately, um, it's all for his glory that we might see who he is. And uh, often I will tell people, you know what, on that day, on that great day, uh, when when God casts judgment and says you're headed for hell, you're not going to argue with him. You're going to look at how glorious he is and you're going to say, I got that coming. I got that coming. And I know it. Um, I'm sorry, Brian, I think I stepped right in front no, of you. No, no, man, you, I won't <laughs> let you go. But you're right. And, and I see that a lot. And where they come into the conversation, they want to be the judge. They want to put God on the witness stand. Right. And, and, and then it just it's sorry, it doesn't work that way. And I think sometimes some of the evidentialists and some of the classicals, you know, uh, approach kind of lets them be that judge and, and try to win that argument. So um, I love that part. The, the cold and the heat. I haven't used that one. I'm going to steal that one shamelessly. I've used I, this is where I'm checking with my mentor here. Yeah. I've used darkness and light, right? Darkness yeah. really is nothing. That's it's another one. Of light. Okay. Yeah. Darkness and light. And it's like, you know, we haven't seen how dark this is going to get right as, as far as yeah. and I, the Joseph story, right? They restrain the brothers from killing God restrained them from killing them to get them into slavery in order for the purpose to. So, yeah. Um, I think that, you know, again, Romans one, just, just given over, um, uh, to the sin, we're seeing it right now all over the place with the broken brain syndrome going down in our country and all over the world. Um, and, and again, the gospel is, is the only, but I, I think, man, if anything has st- stood out and, and I just taught an evangelism class at, at my church, Cornerstone Bible church here in Westfield and an evangelism one-on-one class. And we started with the attributes of God. I think underst- fully understanding all the attributes of God. Um, it's kind of like that story of, uh, of the FBI when they, you know, conf- you know, uh, um, the, the fake bills, right? Um, they don't teach people how to look for bills that are not right, right? That counterfeit bills. They teach them what's a perfect bill look like. And then when you yep. see something a little off, 
wait a minute, that's not a per- perfect bill. I think the same thing, not only with the word, but with the attributes of God, once we totally understand all of his attributes and how they work together, someone comes at you with a little different twist of truth or um, how can God be evil? And I, I think that is just so helpful um, to have that position to start with in the whole piece. So thank you for exposing that. Yeah, ah, you're welcome. Yeah, this has been a really uh, great conversation and uh, you brought a lot of insights. I like Brian said, shamelessly going to use the cold thing. I had never thought about that before. When I, when I touched my finger to, to that, to the snow, you know, uh, we don't get snow a lot, a lot here in Dallas. But <laughs> I, I think we still get the point. And uh, it, it was interesting to hear that the absence of the goodness of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, when you put it like that, I think people need to sit up and take notice. Do I want to be part of the absence of the goodness of God. I think you should consider that if there's anybody listening to us right now and hearing that, is that really something you want to partake in? It would be good for you to repent and put your trust in Jesus Christ. Um, you know, and so uh, any, any last uh, comments that you want to give to us, uh, Dr. Sylvester, it's been a pleasure to have you uh, on the episode on this episode. No, you know, and, and, but I do pray if there's anyone that listens to this, this episode that, and you don't know who, you pretend you don't know who God is. I, I pray that you repent before your last breath comes. Yeah. You know, what, one, of, uh, one of my favorite passages I talk about when I talk about the problem of evil is this. You know, the, the, in the Tower of Siloam, Jesus, um, the disciples asked Jesus about this, right? They said, Rabbi, who sinned? Uh, actually, I'm sorry. Let me go back to the blind man first. They say, the apostles asked Jesus, who sinned? this man or his parents that he was born blind. And what was Jesus' response? That the works of God might be displayed in him, mm-hmm. right? It was not about his sin. It was about that my works be displayed in me and he heals him. I also look at the Tower of Siloam and, uh, and the apostles asked Jesus, were these Galileans worse sinners than all other Galileans, right? Why did the Tower of Siloam fall on? I think it was 18 of them. And what was Jesus' response there? He says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Mm. Right? The fact is, is evil's in the world. You're going to die one day. You don't know when it's going to be. That tower of Siloam could fall on you. And, and if you're listening right now, you don't know when your last breath is going to be. You don't know if you're going to get hit by a car the moment you walk outside or get hit by a stray bullet. And then at that very moment, you were going to face your judge and, uh, if you face the judge based on, on your own works, your own evil deeds, he's going to find you guilty based on your evil deeds. No amount of good you've ever done could outweigh the badge you owe. You can't do enough good works, get out of the punishment you owe to your, for your sins against God. You're going to suffer in hell for eternity as you rightly deserve. And so I beg you to repent, put your trust in Christ that, that God knew that we were going to sin. He ordained us to sin. And that he gave us a way out from before the foundation of the world. And that would be through his son, Jesus Christ, who fully God took on flesh to also become fully man. And that he would live a perfect life that you and I are incapable of living. Not even a bad thought crossing his mind. And yet he went to the cross to die. Not for his own sin, because he had none. He went to die for the sins of those who'd repent and believe. And that through his death, burial, and resurrection, he paid that penalty in full for the sins of those who repent. Mm. And so I implore you, today's a day of salvation. Repent and put your trust in Christ before it's too late. Amen. Brian, Brian what, Amen. Do you, what do you think? What do you think? Did uh, did we just did we just hear the gospel? Just I think like, we just heard the gospel out. in a and and, and I, I gotta I gotta tell a quick story. Um, 
because we don't do altar calls here. We don't believe in them. So, um, but we, we were at a Maitland. I'm going to try to save some names here, but um, we were at a major conference and there was a guest um, that was <clears throat> bringing in a, some speakers uh, around CRT and, and wokeness and, and all that. And there were a bunch of people around uh, and talking to one of their guests that they brought for this conference. Well, Anthony was right there and it was found out pretty quickly that this guest, although he was pretty articulate in anti social justice and and CRT and all that, that's what most people are focusing on. Well, Anthony figured out real quick, this, this guy was an atheist and it, it was, we talked later. I didn't know this at the time, but you, you said it clicked in your head. This is not about the social justice. This is a gospel moment. This guy needs the gospel. And man, you talk about, and that was three years ago, maybe um, yeah, at a major conference, major conference. I mean, thousands of people and bro, that stuck with me so hard. Cause I was in there just listening to the, uh, you know, the rhetoric and, and how to do this and that. And um, I don't even know if you knew, I knew, but uh, yeah, seeing you do that and, and knowing that story, it's, it's just, I mean, there've been many opportunities I've, I've failed on. I get it, but I am a lot more open now to, is this an argument to win or is this, some, or is man, this is a gospel issue. Um, this person needs to hear the gospel now. And I, I just, that was, that was monumental me for me, bro. Just, just to see it, to witness it. Um, and, and just, um, yeah, that was, that was good. Uh, uh, and- I, I didn't realize you knew that, you know, I was at that, at that conference, you know, there was a major ministry who had hired a guy who was an atheist, right. Who this ministry spoke a lot against social justice. They hired an atheist to speak in social justice, very well-respected guy, but the ministry never really told a lot of people that he was an atheist. And so, yeah, I, I was one of the first guys I, that I really know of in the country that was speaking on social justice from a, from a systematic perspective. And I've been doing it for almost four years now. So before it even really hit big. And so, yeah, I went up to the guy to kind of pick his brain. And within about a minute, I recognized something's off. And, and that's when I asked him, I said, are you a Christian? No. And so, yeah, the conversation changed, right? Right. All of a sudden, it's it's got to be different. And the worst part is, is that the person who was the head of the ministry ripped into me for sharing the gospel with the guy he had hired to talk about CRT. Wow. It, it is unbelievable that that happened. But that's, yeah, that's right. crazy. Yeah, it's what it is. Um, yeah. Well, we, but- we actually completely appreciate the fact that you just laid out the gospel for our listeners. Amen. In, in the way that you just did, uh, because it was. I was impressed. I don't know about Brian. I was <laughs> Absolutely. Going, he's laying out the gospel. He's taking the opportunity to go ahead and lay it out. We, we try to lay it out as much as we can, but that was really great. You did it for us, uh, Dr. Sylvester. That's oh, praise really God. great. Yeah. Brian, last words. Yeah. We'll just, we'll just pray that, you know, both of our ministries, maybe we can come, maybe we'll have an event so big that both of us get pulled in uh, <laughs> to do that. That would be, yeah. that would be cool would and, be and share that right and work but we all we all work together and and do some yeah. things and 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 it's just uh, awesome uh, i do i do want to say um trying to figure out how we can do this but uh with, with dr Silvestro's book um uh, we can get you a special uh, i don't know how we're gonna uh get them to what striving attorney.com uh to order the book the bookstore would that be um they can order yeah they can order it there and uh We'll have to figure out a special code for them, but we're gonna we're gonna do some something special. We're gonna do it for uh, twelve dollars per person, including shipping. And that'll be free shipping. Uh, yeah. Get the book. Uh, we'll we'll put it in the in the show notes. Um, what the code? Maybe H four and then TL or something. We'll figure out a 
a code. We, I just love you to get this book. Um, and, and again, watch Thursday nights, um, apologetics live. They got a host of, of pastors and, and doctors and people that, uh, talk and, and, and even have guests sometimes on, which is great. Um, but yeah, so listen, listen to that. Um, but yeah, man, just thank you uh, for all you've done for me personally, but, um, thank you for your support, your mentorship, even though you don't know it sometimes, um, you've taught me so much and, uh, just, just God bless you guys in the ministry. And Praise we just God. have, yeah, we just have one, one phrase that we, we, we say a lot is, you know, have a heart and go share your faith.